Hello, everybody. I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Mike Cordes. And welcome to Album Addicts, a podcast where we discuss and analyze a musical album of our choice. This episode, we have a new guest co-pilot joining us, Mr. Rick Barth. Rick, welcome to Album Addicts. Thank you. So on this episode, we're going to review Extreme's 1990 album, Pornography. Rick, what's your history with Extreme in this particular album? So uh, I came to this band, I, I really got into them with the, the first album, the self-titled. So I was kind of waiting for this one to come out. And the, and the first song I heard was Decadence Dance. I think that was the first single they put out. And I, I mean, I am just a Nuno fan, top to bottom. So, <laughs> All right. Mike? Same thing. Got into them on the first album. And when this came out, I was all in. I heard Decadence Dance, and I was already familiar with the band, so jumped right in. That's easy enough. First time I ever heard of Extreme was when my sister Shannon had the cassette of the first album. And I'm like, who the hell is that? And she played me a little bit of it. It didn't impress me at the time. But now we cut to when Pornography came out, and it was heavily hyped up on Boston radio. You know, local band. Remember that? Mm -hmm. I do, yeah. Yeah. And I heard Decadence Dance, and I thought that was okay, but I didn't buy the CD until 91, I think, because I heard more than words on the radio, and I thought it was a pretty good tune. They're jumping on the acoustic bandwagon shits, you know? <laughs> so, And this was just before that song blew up. So I got the CD of this record based on more than words, because I'm a badass rocker. <laughs> you're, you're, every bad boy has a soft side. <laughs> oh, nice touch. So here are some basic facts about this record, per Wikipedia, because knowledge is power. Extreme 2, Pornography, is the second studio album by American rock band Extreme, released on August 7th, 1990 on A&M Records. It was produced by Michael Wagner, along with two tracks produced by Nuno Betancourt, and was recorded in 1990 at Scream Studios, Studio City, Los Angeles, California. It reached number 10 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified two times platinum by the RIAA. Next, I'll give you the band's lineup card. We have Gary Sharon on lead and backing vocals, Nuno Betancourt on lead and rhythm guitars, piano, percussion, and backing vocals, Pat Badger on bass and backing vocals, and Paul Geary on drums and percussion. There are additional musicians, which we'll mention as we see fit. And also, all tracks were written by Gary Sharon and Nuno Betancourt. All right, let's get into a track-by-track analysis of this album. We lead off with Decadence Dance. Rick, what do you think of this? So for me, I mean, this sets the tone for the whole album. I mean, speaking of tone, it, Nuno's guitar on this is phenomenal. Uh, it's one of those those riffs I tried to, to figure out straight away and don't think I ever got close. But just the, the arrangement of it, the, the vocals of it, from top to bottom, it's one of the best songs I think they have in their entire, entire discography myself. All right, Mike. I agree. Uh, it opens with Francis going out into the world with that ominous warning from his mom. <laughs> but what is that percussive noise before the riff comes in? 
All I can think of is the like a rock smasher, like the one at the end of Con Air, where it, like it kills Cyrus the virus. Like it, the thing is, oh like, shoot, it's like a banging. I don't know what it is, but it's cool. It's got, it gives it like an industrial yeah. kind of working class feel. I thought it was supposed to be like a train. Oh, maybe. maybe I don't know. Maybe they, they stole it from uh, Allentown from Billy Joel. That's, there you yes, go. That's exactly that's what the, I thought. Yep. Yep. The um the uh, you have that those open chords and that riff by itself it does a great job of setting up the song it allows the drums to build the tension before it just lets that lets loose and what a great riff the entire first verse is like Gary the Nuno and it's like line riff repeat and then by the second verse everybody's on board but really for me Paul Geary really holds this whole thing together his drums they they really punctuate the delivery of Gary's lines. And uh, Pat Badger just seems to be playing the melody, which works for me because it just thicken, thickens the whole thing up. But at the 327 mark, I had a question. It sounds like it's a vibra-slap. Like we, <laughs> like we have another vi- – the return of the vibra-slap. Could be. I don't know. <laughs> and haven't even mentioned the chorus and the backing vocals, which are just a hallmark of a str- extreme. Great backing vocals, and we know what a sucker I am for that. The solo is really cool. The only thing it, – it's kind of odd to me that the solo is actually at a slower pace than the rest of the song hmm. but it yeah, it's halftime yeah. yeah yeah it it slows it down but it's cool because it allows it to build back up into the chorus and for me that's what really makes it an anthem um you have that main riff again uh with the chorus right by now if you're listening to your car you're going 100 miles an hour and you're beating the crap out of your <laughs> dashboard i even like gary at the end where gary's like ah, ah along with the guitar and he does his great that james brown <laughs> <laughs> at the end so i i'm all in I, I love this song it's a great tune it is a great tune all right we hear the rain and thunder sound effects and then that classic chord progression dun, dun, dun. oh fuck this is the wrong record it's not, it's not black sabbath i mean um there's a piano intro which kind of sounds like somebody warming up and then it melts into these glissandos that stay on the raining theme then I thought it was a train effect. Maybe it's industrial. Yeah, whatever. That effect takes us into the actual song, which starts with a cool-ass riff from Nuno Betancourt, and the rhythm section kicks in playing at a danceable tempo. You can move to it. Nuno's a tremendous guitarist. I have a feeling all three of us are going to be saying that this entire podcast. He throws in little fills throughout his playing that don't intrude on the vocals, something a player like Eddie Van Halen does, and it keeps your ear engaged. I love that shit. Pat Badger on bass keeps up with Nuno's riffs and apes them at points, proving this guy is a pretty fucking sharp player. He's not just plucking root notes. Paul Geary, as you said, Mike, holds it all together, and he does a damn fine job, too. The band itself kicks all kinds of ass. Then there's Gary Sharon on vocals, and I struggle with this guy at times. He's not a terrible vocalist, but I don't especially love the timbre of his voice to begin with, especially when he sings the fast numbers. It sometimes sounds like he's yelling to me instead of singing, Aah! He doesn't kill this band for me, but I will say that he is clearly the weak link in Extreme as far as I'm concerned. This tune cooks, though, and Nuno gets plenty of room to show off his chops. He plays a more melodic solo that shows that he's not just another shredder. This record is a loose concept album about excess in American culture, which today is as relevant as ever, and the lyrics to this song reflect trying to attain or maintain a certain lifestyle that we all do this dance and do whatever we have to, like to be just like everybody else keeping up with the Joneses. The chorus has big gang vocals and is produced to sound big. You'll know when this band does the chorus. Overall, I like the production on the record too. It sounds great, and this track is a sweet kickoff to the album. This was the album's first single that reached number 45 on the U.S. Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. 
The next track is Lil Jack Horny. Rick, what do you think of this? So for all as much as I love this band, I, this is just one of those tracks I just couldn't get into. I don't know if, they, if it's the, because they tuned down a, an entire step on the guitars and it just doesn't seem to fit like a bright, poppy kind of tune. But with the harmonics in the beginning, the, the chorus, the, the whole, just the whole jam of the song, for some reason, just doesn't work for me. I mean, the... The vocals are fantastic, and you know, like you said earlier, anything Nuno does, I'm I'm all in. But there's just something about this song I have not. It's, it's the one I skip more often than not. Rock and Mike, I actually know I kind of like this one. There's a there's a skipper for me coming down the line, but this one for me, I like how it begins with kind of the dreamy harmonics, and I don't know if that's all just kind of tapping on the neck that he's doing. I kind of envision it that way and more of a, a slower groove. I, I know what you mean about that, about that riff. It has, it definitely has some grime on it, but for me, this is where we first hear the horns. And that's one of the things about this record. I really like, and I, I love the name, the little Jack horn section. I think that's hysterical. <laughs> more cool backing vocals on both the chorus and the pre-chorus. The solo is out of the same book as on decadence dance. It's, it slows down a little bit with that pace. You have some squeals, some tapping before building back up, and then I love how the horns come in at the end of that solo. And the song does a weird fade out and fade back in, which is kind of unnecessary, but I'm okay with it. It's a good song. Um, you can tell it wasn't going to be a single, yeah. but it, do- it doesn't stop me from singing along with it. Yeah, the riff on this one's got a dirty, bluesy vibe, almost grungy. And the song features horn parts by the Little Jack Horn section. And I'm going to give them a little bit of props here. Bob Finley and Chuck Finley on trumpet. Bill Watrous on trombone. Dick Slide Hyde on bass trombone. And Pete Chrislieb and Joe Peskin on tenor sax. Now, honestly, I don't know how essential the horns are to this particular track, but it doesn't sound bad. Nuno's solo starts off with bluesy kind of licks and evolves into tapping and shredding that gets faster as it goes and it's well composed. Musically, this song is well written. But this is one of the tracks where Gary annoys me. His voice doesn't carry the melody well, and these lyrics are just fucking run-of-the-mill. I get it. Using Mother Goose characters and phrases as metaphor for a sex-obsessed guy. But you know, boys will be boys, right? A vocalist with a certain panache might be able to sell me on these clever lyrics, but Gary isn't one of those singers. So I like this track for the guitar, but I don't like it for most everything else. I just want, with that fade in and out, it's almost like, then Christ, the song is over, and then they bring it back for 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Those pricks. And it's just, it, it's, the, you guys hit almost every reason why I don't care for this song. The, the, <laughs> the grungy sound, the Mother Goosey lyrics, which I felt they did on uh, uh, Play With Me, which was yes. kind of the, a similar type of uh, vibe, to, not so much musically, but just lyrically. It's like, all right, we get it. They had like a lot of kids type lyrics on that first record, didn't they? Yeah, it's you know, yeah. it's it, they're like Sharonisms. Yeah. Like he yeah. has a certain style when he writes play with me smoke signals. Yeah. Yep. When they do these things live though, they they work. I mean, this song yeah. live, I I enjoy watching it because of just the, the machinations that he goes through while he's singing it. It's pure Gary Sharon, but on the album it just doesn't do anything for me. 
The following track is When I'm President. you think about this one rick so this is one of my top two songs on this album i, I have always loved this song i you know the, the the prototype rap feel that he was going with in the, in the lyrics uh again another great tone with uh, nuno's guitar and and it almost has that same decadence dance type of interplay between the all of the instruments and gary's vocals it, it just kind of you know the way it hits and then when it hits the chorus it's another big chorus and the solo is Almost my favorite Nuno uh, Betancourt solo of all time. It's just got that great uh, dyad bending that he's doing at the end, and it's just, it's just a great song from top to bottom. All right, rock and mic. So Extreme's rap song, but musically still very much Extreme. You know this is still them, complete with the groove, the harmonized background vocals, that faint cowbell underneath that that's there. That's pretty <laughs> cool. Um, and while I like the solo and it fits the song. I actually like the rhythm playing underneath a little bit better. There's some cool stuff rhythmically that Nuno's doing under the solo. And lyrically, this is the best way to deliver this kind of message. He's running for president. It's supposed to be more like a speech. You can picture a guy at a podium. And if he was singing it or belting it out, it wouldn't. I don't think it would really work. So this, this definitely works. It got nicked a little bit, I think, by Danger Danger on screw it there's their sophomore album at the end they had a rap song called yeah you want it oh shit which it was funny because nuno gary and pat badger all played with them they, i saw them on that tour for porno graffiti and then when danger danger came out those three actually sang on that rap song on the end of danger dangers which was horrific it was <laughs> not good at all um but this i like a lot you know it was bad because it was danger danger exactly yes. <laughs> yes so but i'm all in on this song well i'm glad you two fellas are because this one sucks <laughs> <laughs> look i've already stated the vocals are hit and miss for me but the last thing on earth i ever want to hear is gary sharon rapping now, I know it's a joke and it's tongue-in-cheek, but no, just no. This is another case where I dig the music, the three players are killing it, the riffs are hard with a tinge of funk to them, and the rhythm section keeps right up with Nuno. I've come to think that Pat Badger and Paul Geary are underrated players, much too overshadowed by their more famous bandmates. I mean, hell, Pat brings a cowbell on this, right? I mean, That's shit. right. I'm still digging the Nuno fills, and as good as he is, I'm so impressed by the way he can hold back. He doesn't treat every solo like a personal shred fest. I dig the way he constructs a solo. I think we've said the same thing about Jakey Lee. Mm -hmm. This man can shred with anybody, but he plays within the context of the solo. Okay, here's another issue I have with Mr. Sharon. His lyrics sometimes hit the mark, and I appreciate that he occasionally writes more than fuck me, suck me words. But sometimes the lyrics are clunky, and this song is an example of that. He's talking about real-world issues with the Middle East references, and it's a comment on the so-called American dream and how we're taught as children that in this country you can become anything you want to be, and maybe that's true to a point. The lyrics come across as simultaneously cynical and like a spoof of government. But his delivery stays rap-inflected, and it's just wretched. I can't get past the vocals on this. This is Aaron's Stinky Stinker. 
Right on. But hey, I dig the outro, which is the band playing out on the pre-chorus groove, basically. Yeah. Yep. The next track is Get the Funk Out. Rick, your thoughts. So you can say the lyrics on this are fantastic. The, the rhythm playing between the band is is amazing. But for me, this song is all about the guitar solo. I've been playing guitar for 30 plus years. I don't know what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> it is such a, a, an amazing guitar solo. And the whole feel of the song and, and what they're going for with the, with the little Jack Horny uh, horn section, the whole thing works. It, it's just so perfect of a song i would have to say this is probably my number one song on this album all right mike ah pat badger the pasty face white boy he's finally <laughs> highlighted and I, I i put down it's stupid i put i funkin love this song <laughs> um, wow. i'm not completely convinced they're saying funk but kudos to them for actually getting this played <laughs> on the radio great bass line the solo is great um and it's what we expect from nuno the horns are perfect so this came out in august august 7th of 90 Slave to the Grind by Skid Row came out July of 91, both produced by Michael Wagner. I was looking for uh, to verify this, but I couldn't. But I, I vaguely remember Sebastian Bach saying how much he loved this record in an interview. And he felt that if you wanted to say fuck, just say it. And this was the basis for their <laughs> get the, get fuck, the out. fuck out. Okay, um, that makes which sense. I could completely see. Yeah, I, do, I could too. Great song. The drums and bass lead us in, playing a mildly funky groove, and the guitar definitely has the funk rock vibe. It's another track that gets my body moving. The little jack horn section's back, and this time they really enhance the song. They aren't overused or shoehorned in. The guitar solo, like you said, Rick, it's killer. It's longer this time, and Nuno displays a phenomenal mix of melodic runs and fast shredding. This is one of my favorite solos on the record, too. And at the same time, I love what Pat Badger is playing underneath on the bass, the ascending line from the pre-chorus. I fucking love the breakdown sections. With that horns added, it, it just comes down like thunder. Pat Travers appears on this as well, singing backing vocals. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it could have been just as well if he wasn't on this. You can't distinguish him no, at, all. at all. Gary Sharon, oh boy. You're invited to hang with him, but if you don't like the excess he's clearly reveling in, there's the door. Get out of his face. Get out of the country if it bothers you that much. Throughout the track, he yells out stuff that ties into other tracks on the record about sex and money and power, and I just want him to shut up. But he does not ruin the song for me. It kicks way too much ass musically. I really do dig this one. This was the second single that reached number 34 on the U.S. Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. I was, I was glad that you mentioned that breakdown before the solo, because that is, that is a killer section. The following track is More Than Words.
Rick, you like this one? Well, first I'm going to say I know that you both are going to shit all over this one. So, <laughs> <laughs> But it would be – I mean it's not my – at the time it was my favorite song on the album. I mean it was – I didn't get into this band because of it. And, and unfortunately they're, they were pigeonholed because of this song and Wholehearted, much like every other hard rock band out of the 80s. You, know? you have a penis, right, Rick? <laughs> That's right. There's no vagina. Oh, okay, okay. No, just checking, just checking. <laughs> But, but, but you could look at a band like Saigon Kick with like Love Is On The Way. They got the same thing where none of their albums sound anything like Love Is On The Way, but that's what everybody knew. The hit, yeah. So, that's the hit. yeah. And, and that's why this song, as much as I love it, if somebody said, what's a great extreme song? I would never point to this one. And I love the song. I mean, it is absolutely one of my favorite. I spent many months learning how to sing both parts and how to play the, the guitar lines exactly the same. Uh, to never ever play it live ever. <laughs> oh shoot! But it's you gotta it's, wheel it out one of these days, Rick. Oh, I get asked all the time, and I'm like, nah, I ain't touching that one because it is. <laughs> it, it's it's an amazingly crafted song. I mean, it's so Everly Brothers. It's not funny, and it's it's just great vocals, guitar playing that was not being done back then. If you think about it, there's no other album or no other song that had this this style going on, and that to me is what makes it an incredible song. But that all said, you guys go ahead and shit all over. <laughs> uh, Mike, you going to shit on it? Actually, I'm not. <laughs> I still really like this song a lot. Uh, simple acoustic ballad with those great harmonies and then percussion added by Nuno while knocking on the guitar while playing. I love that. It's Oh, my God. It's awesome. I do prefer, however, the radio edit over the album version the because – this is where uh, I don't knock on Gary Sharon a lot, but I'm agreeing with Aaron. The end of this, where he does that real high pitched, you know, mother. no, 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 no. Um, I, I don't like that part. I'll take the radio edit over this version. I would too. Every I do too. day of the week. Um, I remember when it came out at the time. MTV had resurrected Rockline, and they did it as they did it as a like a call in show, and. Gary and Nuno were on that, and Gary talked about it at the time they were touring with ZZ Top, and he said that they get a lot of people, and he did this really bad southern accent, and he goes, we like that more than word song, but we don't like any of the other ones you do. <laughs> <laughs> so that pl- you know, that's the problem. Therein lies the problem. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. it's ironic, too, that you brought up Saigon Kick, because when I, I saw him on tour for Three Sides to Every Story, Saigon Kick opened. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I, I really like it. Well, this was the song that led me to pick up the album. I mean, like it's a gentle acoustic ballad featuring Gary and Nuno that's very pretty and shows a different side of the band. The melodies are strong, and I genuinely like Gary's vocals on this. How about that? Including his falsetto, except for the end. Along with Nuno's harmony vocals, which makes me wonder if Nuno might be the better singer. Yikes, I don't know. Yes. The lyrics are good, too. The words I love you get kind of thrown around and not really meant. But if you fuck me, I mean, touch me, then I'll understand how much you care. I like how Nuno taps the guitar for percussion. We've already said that. And his playing's very understated until the end when he shows off a little. And to be honest, I could do without that entire ending. Like, just yep. like you, Mike, with all the vocalisms and such. It Just end the song, fellas. I like the single version better, too. This was the third single, and it was a monster hit. 
going number one on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart. And at the time, I got serious earburn from it as this tune was just everywhere. Even the band got tired of being known for just this, too. You know, that's not what we're all about, man. But eventually they learned to embrace it. Steven Tyler kind of helped that out, too. They were on tour in Poland, I think it was. And at the time, they were like, we're not playing this anymore. For like the first couple shows... They weren't playing more than words, so the crowd was like, what the fuck's going on? And I guess they went down to their dressing room, and there was a taped note on the door from Steven Tyler saying, play the fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> so from then on, they, they put it back into the set. I mean, come on. A number one song doesn't come around all that often unless you're the Beatles. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. embrace it. Coming back to it now, though, after not hearing it for a couple of decades, I can dig it again. So, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. That's an amazingly written song, no doubt. And it's aged well. It really has aged well. There's definitely a song on here for me that has not, um, but this one has. Yeah. Well, when you listen back to a lot of the hair metal stuff, and I don't know if people find that word offensive, but that's what this genre is. You know, you, you listen back to like Heaven or Love Love is on the way is not too good, but there's certain hair band ballads that just don't hold up very well. Yeah. This is this one is a strong song. It's just it's it, it annoys me to the end that when people think of extreme, they think of this one in wholehearted, and it's just like, nah, there's so much more. It's- yeah. This does have a little bit of a timeless quality to it. It really does. Yeah. The next track is Money in God We Trust. Rick, what do you say? For me, this is just, it's kind of a a throwaway track. It's a decent song. It's got great playing on it. The band is certainly playing well together. It just does nothing for me. It's it's just kind of one of those, okay, we need, you know, 12, 13 tracks on an album. What else do you guys have? That's the kind of sense I got from it. Backing vocals are are really strong. Solos, typical Nuno, but it just, like I said, it just kind of, it's not good. It's not bad. It's just kind of there. All right. Mike, uh, I'm going to say I'm just going to repeat everything he just said. Yeah. Um, back to the rockers. Straight ahead, groovy riff, those backing vocals. They don't really nick Queen, but it does show the influence. You can hear that in there, which I know Gary and Nuno bonded over their love of Queen, too. I like the high-pitched guitar after Gary sings the word money, and it's a good solo, but this is the first one that felt like filler to me. Yeah. It's another cool riff from Nuno. Mid-tempo pace from the rhythm section. More cowbell, man. And it's based on the idea that Americans are obsessed with money to the point of worshiping it. Sing hallelujah to the almighty dollar. I dig the pre-chorus, though, and give us these days. Our daily bread, I like that part. It's a good lyric, and I like the riff underneath it. It's got a little funk to it, that part. The big chorus to me isn't quite as strong, and Gary's voice is just okay for me. Though I do like, if I should die before I wake, I'm going to take all the fucking money I make. I like that line. Nuno Solo is shredding in the first part, and he does these choppy notes that plays against the rhythm below them. It's pretty cool. I'm kind of with you guys. I neither love or hate this. It's okay, I guess. You know, I wouldn't skip it when it comes on, but I, I don't stop what I'm doing to pay attention either. Agreed. Yep, that's a perfect way of saying it. The following track is It's a Monster. It's a monster. 
Rick, your thoughts. So now this one, again, it, it gets really close to that throwaway track category, but it's it's a little bit better than, than the money song. Uh, it's it's a fantastic riff, without question. I mean, you could, like you said before, you could say that just about any one of these songs, uh, the rock songs. It's a great solo. I dig the chorus. It's a cool little riff. It's a simple riff that he's playing, but it just works. And to have them singing together like that, it's a strong song, but it, it, it veers really close into forgotten territory because this album is filled with so many good songs, I think. All right. Rock and Mike. This is one of my favorite songs on the album, but there is a disclaimer with that. The riff cooks. It's a great way, and it's a great way to open a set, which I believe when I saw, I saw him on tour for this album in 90, this was the name of the tour. It's a Mons tour, 9091. Oh, that's what it was. That's what it was called, yeah. yeah. One thing, I like how the drums are up front, and one thing I haven't mentioned is Nuno's use of space, especially when accommodating the backing vocals. He kind of backs out of the way with the riff and gives them time to shine. He's but a I, very complimentary guitarist. He is. He really is. He doesn't step on anybody right. throughout, the, throughout the songs. He's a songwriter first. Ex- yeah. ex- exactly. Yes. He's a songwriter You can first. tell that he's a real songwriter, yes. Yes, and I, I completely agree. And you can hear that with, with the, all the backing vocals, even like I said before, the rhythm that he plays under the solos, which is cool. And that, that space actually gives us time to bask in the glory of the Nuno riff. The, uh, there's two solos, and the notes kind of roll. My only knock on the song, it could be shorter, and they could leave out a couple refrains of, it's a monster. Okay, cut that out a couple times, and they could compact it down a little bit and improve it for me. Yeah, we got another riff rocker that's about jerking off, so it's got that going for it. <laughs> the guitar has a flanged intro along with Paul Geary's intro fill. That's cool, and the horns are back, though they're a little bit more subtle this time. The melodies don't grab me, though, and the chorus is kind of blah for me. They doctor them up with the gang vocals, but it still doesn't quite hit the mark to my ears. The breakdown section features some nice bass work from Pat Badger, and Nuno rips it up on the solo, shredding like a madman, and it sounds kind of classical music-influenced, almost like something Yngwie Malmsteen would do. I could hear that. Yeah. Yeah, I could that. Yeah. Gary has some shrieks toward the end that make me want to either laugh or cringe. I don't know which. (laughs) And the lyrics are nothing special. This isn't awful. There's a lot of talent on display, but it's okay, I guess. Most other bands would kill to write a song this good. For these guys, it's like not the best they could do. Eh, here it is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just knock knock another one out. (laughs) The next track is the title track, Pornography. Rick, what do you say? For me, this is the, uh, it's, a, it's a really good song. The, the riff is what holds it together. It's, it's a complete funk-styled rock song from top to bottom. It's one of those songs that I will rewind to listen to again. Great chorus, great guitar solo. I'm not as happy, or I should say, I don't dig the tone as much on his guitar as some of the other songs. And I think that's because he's doing a lot of uh, different extension-type uh, chords to give it that funk sound. So it doesn't really have that hard rock guitar that the other songs do, but it, it's a killer chorus. It, just the interplay between the, the vocals and the guitar 
and, and you guys had said it before that uh, Pat Badger and Paul Geary are just through all of these songs, particularly this one, they, they just sit back so perfect in the song and let the song do what it's supposed to do. It's really good. Mike? Sex! <laughs> what a riff. Uh, you have the anthemic sing-along chorus. Gary is a really great front man, and on this, you hear him delivering the goods on that. I like how he constructs his delivery and a good portion of his lyrics, not all. There are times, like we talked about the previous album and a little couple spots here on this record, he would utilize the technique of combining two words again later on uh, Political Amity off of uh, Three Sides Every Story. <laughs> There's a ton of stuff going on with this song, though. The horns are back at the 2.30 mark, and then there is actually some sweet wah action that I really like as Gary hits the upper end when he's killing a dog or whatever that screech is <laughs> in the middle. Uh, out of the solo, the song's tempo slows down, then changes gears with a, I don't know if you call it a shuffle. I'm not a musician, so I don't quite know what that is. And then right back to the chorus. This is my favorite track on the album. Wow. Yeah, this one's got a tougher, meaner riff to it, and I cannot knock Nuno's playing. He's bringing his A game, but again, the melodies are falling flat for me, and they're starting to blur with the previous two tracks and just a sea of meh vocals to my ears. On the last one, masturbation was a monster, but on this one, we get a critique of how we're bombarded by the images of sex in advertising, on TV, everywhere we look, and we're almost desensitized to it at this point. Gary's falsetto sounded really good on the quiet tune, but here it's fucking hideous. I'm starting to think he just doesn't have a great rocker voice for me. The solo section is again extended and Nuno again brings the shredding, plus different textures to the guitar sounds. I don't even know what exactly what he's doing there. He mixes it up, though. He, he even goes to a clean sound and brings the funk. It's cool as shit. Yeah. By the end of the track, they've made their point, chanting sex, like Mike did, 14 times, just in case I wasn't <laughs> sure what the song was about. And this is the third song in a row where I go, I love the music, but the melodies are kind of flat. It's okay, I guess. The following track is When I First Kissed You. So How about this one, Rick? So when I first heard this when I was a, a young boy of 16 or 15 or somewhere there, I was like, what the fuck are they doing? What yeah, is you this? hated it, didn't you? <laughs> I, I despised this. I mean, this was a skip without question. I mean, if, if you had the capability to make playlists, then I'd be like, nah, I don't even need this shit on there. But through the years, you know, as I became a, a more quote unquote sophisticated musician and I understood what they were doing, I appreciated it more. Uh, but I got to say, when I went back to listening to the album with some some regularity to get ready for this and, and watched it on the on the live uh, concert today, the 25th anniversary, I, it, I really appreciated it. And, it. and it I understand now what they were doing. Uh, but back then, I was just like, I don't get this at all. I mean, OK, what are they trying to be Sinatra? I mean, they even referenced it in a song. And it was just like, I, I, so if you asked me 30 years ago, 25 years ago, I'd be like, I hate this song. You ask me now, I absolutely love the song. I think I wish I could write something as sophisticated as as this one. All right, 
Mike? We are on the same page. Mm. <laughs> Completely. I think the three of us are going to be. I have never been into the crooners. Musically, growing up, my dad exposed me to like Hendrix, The Doors, Alice Cooper. My parents never exposed me to this at all. Then I get into hard rock and metal and hear this. Skip. <laughs> all day. I And I really like it now, though. I don't search it out, but when I do hear it, I sing along. And I'm just amazed. The piano and orchestration, both done by Nuno. And it's funny that the liner notes, it says that the song is crooned by Francis, which is, I just found that funny. And I was just wondering if Pat plays, does play a stand-up bass on this or not. I can picture it. Boy, it sure sounds like it's got to be. It has to be. It, it ha- yeah, he plays a stand-up. Yeah. yeah it, and one thing, too, this album has great sequencing. So if you go the first four tracks, fifth tracks of a ballad. So you go four songs, ballad, three songs, ballad, two songs, ballad it's almost like they're playing around with that concept that they would later do on the next album where they break it up into parts um but i i I really do like this track a lot now that i'm older yeah yeah i didn't see this one coming either (laughs) nuno plays the piano this time and the band comes across like a late night cool jazz combo and gary sharon gets his croon on channeling singers like sinatra and bennett even though he admits in the lyrics he's not in their league, but don't you know he does a damn good job with it. Yeah, he does. I have no doubt now that the slower numbers are a sweet spot for me. There's the upright bass and keyboard strings. Or are they keyboard strings? I thought they were. They sound like it to me anyway. Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, yeah. but it captures the vibe this song is going for. And the lyrics are about a windswept romance in New York City. You know, like we were saying when I first heard this as a young man, what, 1990, I was 20 years old. I heard this, what on earth? Get this shit out of here. I hated it back then. And even though this song is still wildly out of place on this record, I actually like it now. But I have a soft spot for this type of music when I'm in a certain mood. So I'll definitely give it a pass. I really dig it. And I do like the crooners. I've always liked them. I have to get back in. I have some stuff, but I just, I, I don't know what it is. I've never spent the time to act properly listen to them. Yeah. The next track is Susie Wants Her All Day What? Rick, what do you think? This is one of my favorites on the album. It goes right back into that hard rock, metal, uh, stick more hard rock, I guess, uh, guitar riffs, great vocals. I actually dig the lyrics on this one. I know it goes back into that that sing-songy, uh, little Jack Horny and play with me kind of thing. But it just <laughs> it works for me on so many levels. And I really dig the, uh, the, the breakdown part where he's singing the Susie Wants Her All Day Sucker. And, and Nuno's playing the guitar part over it. And you hear it like that. That harmonic scream that he plays is just really cool for me. I, and it was such, again, going back to the, the the one I first kissed you, after skipping that piece of shit when I was, you know, in my teenage years, to come back to this was like, oh, thank God they're back playing rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mike? So this is, Nuno is just a full-fledged riff machine at this point throughout this whole album. Back on the Badlands episode, back to Jakey e. Lee, we were talking about, I, I, I had mentioned how I think Jake just has like a bucket of riffs. 
Nuno is right there with them. Yeah. I don't know where he pulls them from. They just they're just cool. They're they're they've all got that groove and just you want to hear more. It's it it's lyrically Susie's looking for a sugar daddy and I like the interactive background vocals kind of warning the big bad wolf about little red riding hood <laughs> um which I think is a cool twist on that. And Nuno as a rhythm player, again, the solo, again, it's not a, a frantic shred fest, but it's melodic and it builds the song for the return to the chorus. One of my favorite favorites on the album. All right. Well, we had our jerk off song. So now we got to have our blowjob song. Like many tracks on this record, it's a good riff that's doubled by the bass with horn accents and the drums are steady as she goes. It's pretty much a given, but it's another awesome Nuno solo that stays on the melodic side this time and sounds very familiar, like I've heard something like it before. Almost sounds like patriotic. I don't know if that makes any sense. It was just, I don't know. It sounded like something I might have heard on the 4th of July. Maybe that, maybe <laughs> I'm just losing my mind. I don't know. I'm a broken record at this point, but the vocals turned me off a bit. Not completely, but even the way Gary enunciates certain words gets on my nerves, like how whenever a word ends in E-R, he says, ah, and he does this throughout the record. Sucka, eva, neva. It's like he's singing in a Boston accent, <laughs> which I suppose is exactly what he's doing. But he draws it out, and it bugs me. He's not just going, you know, sucka, ne- sucka, neva. It just gets on my nerves. I'm not sure if Susie is a slut or a prostitute, but she apparently loves to give head. I mean, that's all the song is about <laughs> lyrically. Overall, this track isn't bad musically. I love it. It's okay, I guess. The following track is He-Man Woman Hater. Rick, what do you say? This is another one of those songs, uh, like I was saying, with not knowing what the hell Nuno's doing. That intro to this, I know exactly how he's playing it, what type of effects he's using, and what he's doing. I still can't ever get close to that. That (laughs) intro, the flight of the wounded bumblebee is just... And he makes it look so easy, which is the mark of a a great musician. They don't look like they're struggling. Yeah, virtuoso. And it's just, you go, Jesus, how fucking good do you get to be? That's not fair. But the song itself, I really like the the intro riff, and, and it's kind of the, the chorus of the whole thing. But how they, they kind of change the tempo for the verse is really cool. I, I, I dig how they mix the two together. If, if you were to ask me about this song, first and foremost, you think of the Flight of the Wounded Bumblebee almost being more prominent than the song itself. Yeah, I wondered why yeah. they didn't make that a separate track. I always wondered the same thing. Mm. It, 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 like you said. It, they even it, titled it, it. Right, and it, oversha- it does overshadow yeah. the, the song. yeah. Mike. All right. Flight of the Wounded Bumblebee. Uh, take on Korsakoff's Flight of the Bumblebee. Uh, Man of War had their own on Kings of Metal, which I don't know what it is, but it seems like every time we do an episode, I find a way to bring Man of War Man into of this. War. <laughs> I don't know why. But they did. Um, on uh, Kings of Metal, they had a song called Sting of the Bumblebee, 
which uh, was all done with bass. That's right. Um, which was which was pretty cool. This intro right here, this solidified Nuno's reputation as a shredder. Yeah. Um, I remember talking actually with Ray Z in English class in in senior year of high school, and he was talking about how he had a digital delay. And we, last week we were talking, and he said the same thing that he has a digital delay, and he's playing eighth notes and to make it sound like he's playing thirty second notes. Right. Um, again. I'm, I'm not a guitar player, so I'm taking Ray's word on that, and I'll, I'll take that one to the grave. Mm. Um, I do like the squeal to the riff. It seems like Pat is playing with the melody again, and I do like the backing vocals. Again, I gush over the backing vocals all the time. I, I even like the really deep where he goes, hey. I, I, you know, it, um, and you've got Dweezil Zappa, which is always good, playing the no intro. and women the, allowed. Yeah, no women allowed. <laughs> um, so Dweezil's on it. And uh, now that I'm older, lyrically, this song makes so much sense now. <laughs> I had no idea when I was in high school. But now that 46 years old, yep, all right. I hear what, you, I hear what you're selling. The last two lines of the, uh, of the song – it's not credited this way in the lyrics or written down as the lyrics, but it really sounds like he says, can't live with them and I love to shoot them. <laughs> I'm not, I, don't, I don't know. I, I backed it up like three times and I'm going, I really think that's what he's saying. And then I just love how they return to the riff at the end. <laughs> kind of goes against the Gary Sharon's a nice guy. Vibe, yeah, isn't yeah it? you know, can't live with them, love to shoot them. <laughs> Yeah, so Nuno does that twist on a classical piece. It's retitled as Flight of the Wounded Bumblebee, which is just an impressive display of shredding that serves as the intro to the main track, which by now you should know what I'm going to say. Great guitar playing, solid rhythm section, fantastic solos, including Dweezil Zappa on the intro and outro solos, dopey lyrics, average melodies, and passable vocals. It's about relationships from the male perspective. You know, women can't live with them, can't live without them, and you know they'll turn a poor schmuck into a chauvinist pig eventually. This track is interchangeable with about four or five others on this album, and it's not that I don't like these tunes, I do, but they all kind of become one big blur for me after a certain point. This track is okay, I guess. The penultimate track is Song for Love. So what? What do you say? So I, I love the intro to this great guitar tone. I think the chorus is fantastic. The way they're all singing the harmonies together. I mean, you, you could say it, like you said, for pretty much everything. It's great guitar playing, great songwriting, great vocals, great arrangement. And I don't even think Aaron could knock the the, the vocals on this one. I think Gary <laughs> Sherman nails it on this one. I think a lot of the coolness of it comes from the backing vocals of, of Nuno, though, especially in the chorus. And another great guitar solo. It's kind of reminiscent of a lot of the solos of the era in the, in the power ballads. But, you know, Nuno is Nuno, so it's going to be a notch higher than most anyway. All right. Rock and Mike. This is the song that has not aged well for me. Oh, wow. Uh, um, I really I, I really liked it at the time. It, it sounds dated now. I, to me, it just does. It's a moody ballad. At this point in my life, it's kind of missing the mark for me. I do like Pat's uh, bass solo in that. For me, that's the best part. But, I mean, the solo, fantastic. The talent is there. The vocals are great. It's just something about the song itself. It just 
doesn't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know this was a single until I began my research. Uh, I still have the first four cassette singles to this album at home. Wow. Um, This was the last one. Yeah, this was the last one. And it's funny because in the video, if you watch it, painted on the wall in the background, it actually says Napalm Death, (laughs) which I was like, that's pretty funny. So, you know, it's not Utopia Banished or Scum by Napalm Death, but I, I think it's funny it makes a reference. If they weren't so diverse in their sound, this would almost sound pompous to me. So I, 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 yeah, and I don't know why. I used to love this song so much, and just in the past week and a half, maybe it's just the mood I've been in. It's just not, it's not hitting it for me. All right. I'm going to call this Mike's Musical Misstep. <laughs> this is one of my favorite tracks on the album. <laughs> wow. A, is it, see, I didn't see that coming. It's a big, well-constructed ballad with gorgeous melodies and harmonies. Everybody gets a chance to shine on this, and the song is adorned with a harp and strings that sweeten the sound, kind of like Beth. I don't, yeah, I, I just like that. I don't know. I love the pre-chorus melodies, and the huge chorus is catchier than meningitis. <laughs> Apparently, as long as Gary doesn't rock out, I can dig his voice because he gives a very good performance on this track. You were right, Rick. And the backing vocals really enhance the melodies. Nuno doesn't need to shred on this. His solo is very melodic and reflects the emotion of the tune, which is what a good ballad solo should do. I can even accept Gary reaching for notes he really can't hit towards the end of the song as it builds to a crescendo. He goes into the falsetto, and I'm good with it this time. It works. Lyrically, the song can be applied to repairing a romantic relationship as well as a broader societal, can't we all just get along kind of thing. It's a universal song of love and healing after all the cynical crap that was stirred up throughout the album. This brings a more positive message to me as we close things out. This was the fifth single from the album that, as far as I could find out, apparently did jack squat on the charts. And that brings us to the final track, Wholehearted. How about this one, Rick? I love the song. I'll, I'll precursor what I'm about to say with that, that I've spent much like more than words a long time figuring it out. I think I bought a 12 string specifically to learn how to play this song. I love the song. I love the chorus, the vocals, even the, the lyrics of the song, which are about a, a guy's relation or a person's relationship with God. Not so much a love song is what most people think of it is. But the issue, the one issue I have with this song is not even anything to do with the band. It's to do with the listeners that people got into this song, bought the album and said, what the hell is all this other shit? Right. It's a great mm-hmm. song. And it's unfortunate that this is what, you know, this and more than words are the, are the two things that this band is known for. That said, I, I love this song. I still play this song. Uh, when I, whenever I pick up a 12 string, I always do the, the intro and the chorus. It's just a great song. I'll never, ever not like this song. Nice. Mike? I I agree. I completely agree. I think it's kind of funny that this wasn't on the original vinyl release. Mm. This was the bonus track. So if you bought on vinyl, you didn't get this, which now it's crazy, especially, I mean, this thing was a huge hit. Huge hit. Uh, You have that classic video shot outside the Boston Center for the Arts down on Tremont Street. 
There was a guy that I used to work with. A shout out to Mr. Joe Kelly. He actually worked for Bradley's Department Stores at the time. Yeah. And he lived in Boston. And he was on Tremont Street the day they were filming this. He saw the crowd running, was like, yeah, I don't have time for this. Had no idea what it was. And he walked the other way. Oh, <laughs> so wow. he's, that was his big – he was like, man, could have been, been in the video. <laughs> this is where – when we were talking about Song for Love, about whether it's the fifth single, all of that, it's funny because the wiki entry for the single – for wholehearted states that this was the fourth and final single mm. while the main page lists the five singles. Yeah. So there's still that. So there's still hope that I do have all the cassette singles. I don't know. Wikipedia. I'm not quite sure. Come on. Yeah. It's that. Nuno's playing a 12 string, which, and he does some slide work, great harmonized backing vocals, great song all the way around. It started to wear out its welcome at the time, but as we were talking about with more than words, I've given it enough time. I can go back to this and still enjoy it. On the three sides to every story tour, they played with the heavy metal horns for a limited run of dates. So they had them out on stage with them. And when I saw them, they did this song, Electric with Horns, which was pretty cool. Yeah. I've always dug this track, too. It's kind of bouncy, acoustic, folky stomp with another ridiculously catchy chorus. This tune was inspired both by the acoustic songs from Led Zeppelin III and Nuno acquiring his first 12-string guitar. Nuno's playing some slide guitar to accompany his country-ish percussive strumming, and Gary's vocals are playful, and I don't find them annoying, which are helped by another set of strong melodies. Nuno and Gary trade vocals in the pre-chorus as if they're having a conversation with each other, and I love that. Gary said the lyrics are about desperately missing God, not a woman, but the vibe is so upbeat, the darkness of the words are kind of disguised somewhat. This oddball track, along with When I First Kissed You, was produced by Nuno himself. This was the fourth single, and it was a big hit for Extreme, reaching number four on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. It's funny you mentioned that he did, the, the story goes that he got his 12-string, he took it into the John, and wrote this song. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> he, came, he went in, came out, and had the, had basically the whole, the whole gist of the song, said, okay, guys, here we go. <laughs> Now that the track by track has concluded, we'll give our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a zero to five system, with five being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a zero, which will never fill that fucking hole. Rick, what are your final thoughts on pornography? Um, I'm going with a solid five. I mean, this is this was a, an album that from the, the day I first heard it to right up to yesterday when I was listening to it again, even with all its faults and and, and very few missteps. This is an album that has inspired my playing, my songwriting, though you would never, ever hear it. But it's one of those albums that it's just it was my youth growing up. Uh, Nuno is is a phenomenal guitar player. I mean, he, he ranks up there with top five all time, just all time guitar players, in my opinion, not even just hard rock. You know, they got like you said, they had two huge songs off of this album, More Than Words and Old Hearted. Any band would kill for that kind of thing. Even though it, I felt it was a slight detriment to the way people perceived him, this is just a, a fantastic album. And if, if 25, 26 years later, whatever it is, 30 years later, that you haven't heard it, you know, what are you waiting for? It's just a great album. Go out and get it. All right. Rock and Mike. I love this record, too. Uh, I'm giving it a four and a half. Musically, it appealed to the glam metal crowd. Lyrically, it took shots at the very same scene, which is, is brilliant because they were still able to attract the same crowd while they're singing like 
do you know what you're every <laughs> you know and it's it, it, it's it's brilliant i really do i love the album a lot more than words and wholehearted help build this the scene along with five man acoustical jam that would lead to that unplugged phase. Right, that hard rock and metal would hit. Then yes. I think they're they're completely instrumental. G and in R lies too. Yeah, G and R lies. Um, and even that Bon Jovi performance of Wanted Dead or Alive mm. on the the music awards. Music awards. Yeah. that one helped as well. I've seen Extreme three times. I saw him on tour for this in ninety ninety one. I saw him on tour for Three Sides to Every Story in ninety three, and in two thousand fourteen, I saw him on the twenty fifth anniversary of this. I anytime I get a chance to see Extreme, I go. I don't care what they play. They could play, you know, they could do all covers. I wouldn't care at all. I even have photos when I saw him in ninety one. I grabbed a, one of my mom's bed sheets and I ripped it in half and made a banner. And my buddy and I, Dennis Manley, uh, I, we've spray painted it. We snuck in a camera. And I have pictures of Extreme at the Paramount Theater holding up my banner on stage. I caught, nice. I caught Nuno's pick. I love it. And it, this album will always be fantastic to me. All right. Extreme was formed in Malden, Massachusetts in 1985. And Gary Sharon and Nuno Betancourt began writing songs together. The band performed constantly in the New England area and grew a large regional following, which led to them getting signed by A&M Records. They put out their self-titled debut album in 1989, and it was a modest success, which allowed Extreme to record their second album with producer Michael Wagner, who brought a polish to the band's sound common to most glam metal releases. Pornography's initial two singles were not successful, and the album had fallen off the charts by the time the third single, More Than Words, hit the radio stations, but suddenly, boom! That song exploded and pulled the album back into the charts and eventually sold over two million copies. This is the album that broke extreme and, in my opinion, is their best album by a landslide. Nuno Betancourt is a beast of a guitar player, and his syncopated riffs and stellar soloing are what draws me to this band. I also feel that Pat Badger is an underrated bassist, and Paul Geary was a capable drummer. Now, Gary Sharon. I know I've been ragging on him throughout this episode, and now I'm going to try to be as fair as I possibly can. He has talent. His lyrics can be thoughtful, though they sometimes are too clunky and his melodies are very hit and miss for me. I don't love his hard rock voice on record. It lacks a little style and charisma, but it doesn't suck. I can listen to it. He's just way down the list of rock vocalists in my personal preference. He also does a fine job with the softer songs. Maybe he needs to do his Sinatra crooning thing. Give Michael Buble a run for his money. Or maybe Extreme isn't the right vehicle for him. Maybe Gary should join an older, well-established band that's looking for a new lead singer. Maybe that would be a better fit for him. I don't know. All that said, this is a very good album overall. I give Pornography to a three and a half. I mean, shit. Nuno's playing alone earns that rating, so three and a half it is. Now we'd like to thank Rick Barth for coming on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, man. I did. I, I had a great time. I mean, talking about music is, is always fun, so I appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely. If there's anything you want to plug or promote, fire away. Uh, well, I mean, if people could go to uh, my website, rickbarthnj.com, and and hear what i've been doing i uh, got a couple albums out uh in the not nearly even close to what nuno can do <laughs> in the uh i guess what would you call it? i guess country-ish indie i don't know what the fuck you call it just go to the website check it out i got hand-me-down souls out new albums out called fade came out in august uh and if you like more of in a country type style you'll probably dig the albums all right we got an apple podcast review 
It's a five-star review titled Brilliant that comes to us from Ian UFO 17 from Australia. And it says, Amazing podcast of all things music, fantastic facts about the bands, and essential different opinions from the hosts. I find it so intriguing to listen, especially when it's one of my all-time favorite bands like Van Halen or Pink Floyd. Highly recommended. Thank you, Ian UFO 17. And I'd just like to say... Our hearts here at the R4 Podcast go out to the people and wildlife of Australia in their time of crisis. I know it's no true comfort, but our thoughts are with you all. Mm -hmm. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the Album Addicts branch of the show. You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. And yes, we'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Let us know and we'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host a show with us, and we'd also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for Albumatics, I'm Aaron. And I'm Mike. See ya. Sooner or later, you'll be a middle-aged masturbator. It's inevitable. Did you, I mean, did, did you guys get the sense that this was titled from the Little Rascals episode? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's exactly what I got it from. It has to be. Oh, ha- yeah, it has to be. Yep. I was just curious, I was curious if any of you guys were going to say that. I was like, all right, I don't want to say it because I'm not a, to me that's where it came from, but who knows. Yep. Yeah, it, ha- it has to be. I think that's where that whole reference started. Yeah. It was, was back with them. Yep. Yeah, they had the club. Right. Yep. yep. And no Darla. Yeah, that's right. No Darla. No Darla allowed. Poor Alfalfa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my darling. Oh, my darling. Man, I haven't gone that deep with little rascals in about 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> but we... He was in there. Yeah. But we... Wasn't the, okay. was the little fat kid in there? What was his name? Uh, there was, what was the name? There was Spanky... Um, he was like the main dude, right? With a little hat, with a little yeah, beanie, yeah. the chubby kid. Rocky yep, was yep. the one. Enough. No, was it Norman? <laughs> who, who was the one with the, re- Froggy, with the real deep voice? voice? There was Steiny, I think he was like the bald black kid, right? Oh, right, he had the hair. hair. Yeah, Steiny had the, he was, always wore a hat, and yeah, I think he was, it was like, like the bowler hat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shit, I can't believe I'm remembering all this. That's unbelievable. I get that, I do my best thinking in the shower. That Jane's addiction song, that's right. Standing in the shower, shower thinking, man, that's what I do. Standing in the shower thinking and yeah. pissing on myself. <laughs> it's, it's you get inspiration amazing. in the shower, Rick, for your songs? Uh, okay, yeah, we'll go with we'll go with your songs, sure. <laughs> inspiration. <laughs> it's a monster. It's exactly right. What's that song? <laughs> on the <beach> pornography. <laughs> I used to, as a kid, I used to say this is going to embarrass the shit out of me. When I was about 
oh, maybe 10. I used to stand in the shower listening to Kiss Alive 2, wishing that I could play guitar. And now that I'm 50 years old, practically, I stand in the shower going, I wish I could be 10 years old again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> Can I put that in the chipmunk, Rick? Yeah, absolutely. 